All right. So um, John chapter 13, right? Where we are. And uh, last time we looked, we're in point number one on our outline. Uh, the title of these notes, again, is Jesus dismissed with Judas Iscariot. We've talked about apostasy and, in general, and then him as the ultimate uh, example, maybe, of, of apostasy, because he wasn't just a disciple of Jesus, a follower of Jesus for many years. He was part of the, the intimate inner circle known as 12, right? And um, and and yet he apostatized and, and left the faith. And we're going to, John actually says more about the, what happened there at this supper than the other gospels do and, 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 and the dismissal of Jesus, what he said to Judas, what he said to John, you know, uh, all of that. John has has more to say about it. So, um, but I think the lesson here, up to this point, maybe there's sort of a mix. There's there's actually a, a, you might say maybe a positive and a negative lesson here. Okay, in 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 one in one example of Judas, right? Uh, the negative is, of course, that. You know, there's there are a number of people in Jesus' forms as we looked at Matthew 7. There's a lot of people who are going to be what he's going to say in chapter 15, unfruitful branches, right? And these are branches in me. In other words, people who identify with Christ, who in the end will find out that they really were not saved, right? That's sort of the negative. The positive lesson for Judas for us is that if it can happen in Jesus' ministry, it can happen in ours too, right? And there are definitely going to be people who you pour yourself into, and and uh, um, and you think, you know, all the outward signs are that that they're coming along and they're growing, and and, and then the next thing you know, they they're gone. And so, um, don't be. It just reminds us again of the truth that we saw in chapter six, where Jesus says, "No one can come to the to me unless what the Father." compels them clearly, draws them, right? Um, very, very important we understand that because you can't get discouraged, you know? I think all of us have, have had that experience. You pour yourself into somebody. Uh, uh, you know, BBS week is one thing, but when you when you have years even that you pour yourself into uh, <clears throat> uh, someone and they, and they apostatize, just remember it happened to Jesus too, okay? So uh, outline, our outline, point number one, very simple outline, we'll get two points. Point number one is Jesus predicts the apostle of apostasy as part of God's, don't miss that, he were their sovereign plan, right? God is in charge. Uh, <clears throat> Judas was not a surprise. And we saw that last time when we when we looked at the uh, verse that Jesus quotes here, Psalm 41.9. So let's look at our, let me just read our text. Uh, we're looking, uh, we started last time. Uh, backing up a few verses into verse uh, 16. Uh, and I mentioned to you that this whole section here was a little difficult to break up into, into manageable notes. And so I kind of split it really in the middle of, of a thought there in verse 18. So uh, we'll start with verse 16 in our reading here. Truly, truly, I say to you, a servant uh, or a slave is not greater than his master, nor is a messenger greater than the one who sent him. 
And I mentioned to you that, that verse 16 and verse 20 are connected, right? They're like kind of, you can kind of think of it as the uh, two slices of bread and you got other stuff, the sandwich, right? You got other stuff in the middle, but there's two slices of bread there. And, and, and they, those verses 16 and 20 bracket other thoughts that are in the middle of that, okay? But uh, don't hold, don't lose that thought from 16, okay? Then verse 17, he says, if you know these things, blessed are you if you do them, right? What is he referring to? Well, he's just come out of washing their feet. And he set them an example, right? Uh, that uh, uh, to follow, to wash one another's feet. But I've been thinking a lot about that. Um, and, 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 you know, we went to the Michael Card intensive uh, week before this last week, and I was glad to hear him uh, kind of say the same thing. He couldn't dwell a lot on certain points of it, but if, if he dwelled, uh, if he, if it was obvious to me that the washing of the disciples' feet really made an impact in, in, in Michael Card's own study of this gospel um, as well. And I was glad to see that because it is such an impactful thing. But there's a sense in which we continue when we gather together in the assembly. This is one of many reasons why you don't want to be skipping church a lot, right? Uh, now, if you're going to a church where the word of God isn't being taught, it's just sort of, you know, dev uh, um, devotional type of approach, maybe, or, or uh, motivational speech is what I was trying to think of. You know what I'm saying? I mean, you can, you can buy you know, Tony Robbins and, and get pumped up, okay? But that's not the word of God, right? So if you get a church where, the, where that's the thing and they're doing that just so they can have a lot of numbers, that's not really what we're talking about. But um, when, when, when Jesus is doing this, clearly there's more going on here than just the physical washing of the feet, right? Because he tells Peter, unless I, I, I wash you, you have no part of me. And, and we're going to see again when John 15 is so important in helping us unpack this some more, just a little different illustration of the vine and branches. But it's the same idea because the key words clean and pruning in those verses tie back to this idea here, where the word of God is pictured as the, 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 the is, should say the water pictures the word of God. And when he's washing their feet, what he's doing is he's he's giving an illustration of how the word of God applied in the assembly of believers helps us to stay on track, right? To get the dust of this world off of our feet as we walk in it, right? So you see all the illustrations, right? Well, how, why are their feet dirty? Because they're walking in the world, right? They're, they're in the world, not of the world. He's going to say that near the end of this uh, in his prayer. Um, Asking the Father to leave them in the world, but not to be influenced. But as they walk through the world, they get the dust of the world on their feet. I was texting Debbie about she was texting me a little bit. She was telling her I was praying for her yesterday. Larry's traveling down. And she told me about Uncle Bert, you know. She's like, you know, please pray because it's, it's she's really struggling with her attitude for this. I really don't want to do it, but I, I feel like I really need to do it. And important to do um, and, and 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 she said something to the effect of you know it's it's very easy for me to I, I need a lot of the Lord really has to work with me a whole lot to get my mind back thinking right you know not just focused on me and what I want to do and so on yeah, but 
it's not just her, right? It's all of us. <laughs> it's all of us. And then, and, and then my mind went back to this illustration here because that's what the word of God does for us is it is it washes our thinking again and again and again and, and brings us back to the right perspective to stop seeing the world through my little narrow view and what, what makes sense to my sin-cursed logic. And, and you know what I'm saying? My perspective under the sun and takes us, as it were, up to heaven to see things from God's eternal perspective again and again. And the more you do that, the more you begin to see. And, and all of this, so this picture of him washing the feet is not just the humility of, of God, you know, descending down. It is that too. And, and he's on his way down to the lowest point of humility of the cross, right? But it's also a picture of what they are to do for one another. So when we gather together, we wash each other's feet in encouragement, in, in the scriptures together, even if not physically doing that necessarily. Some churches do it physically. That's fine. I don't think it is a sacrament that's given. There's no command, uh, explicit command to do that. But Jesus is clearly, clearly in this text. And then in, in chapter 15, by using those same words and carrying that same idea again over to 15, the vine and branches, is clearly saying that we have that responsibility with each other. We we literally wash each other's feet. In other words, we we when you remind others of, you know, hey, this is you know, I really remember I was struggling with this thing, and I thank you for your prayers, and, and that encourages us, right? Or if somebody says, you know, I'm really struggling with this sin, and, and just pray for me. Well, somebody else says, that really spoke to me because I've had the same struggle, you know, right? Those kinds of things that. It brings us back as we walk through this world. We get the dust of the world on our feet, and we need the word of God to wash that off. That's this is a beautiful. Image. All right, so that's where he's been, and he's he's telling them, uh, uh verse 17, if you know these things, blessed are you if you what do and in chapter 21, the very last chapter of this book, he's going to come commission not just the more I study that chapter. The more I'm convinced that the conversation that Jesus and Peter have is not just for Peter, but it's for all those other disciples that are there to hear. It obviously made an impact on John because he wrote it years later. Right? And uh, um, but uh, um, but it's for all of them, and it's for us as well. What feed my sheep? Same idea, same idea, different metaphor, but it's the same truth. He's trying to convey. Does that make sense? All right. So, best verse 17. Now, this is where we were last time. I'm not speaking of all of you. I know whom I have what? Verse 18. Chosen. Huh. You mean he chose them? They didn't choose him? Yeah. He's going to say that explicitly. In a few chapters. But again, remember I mentioned you last time, this whole discourse has ideas that it's almost like whack-a-mole, you know. This one idea pops up, he deals with it, it comes back down, another idea pops up, and then another doctrine, and then you go back to the first one again, you know. Uh, this is one of those things that's woven throughout is, is God's sovereignty and the fact that he and the Father have chosen them and commissioned them. Okay. 
Uh, so I have not, uh, I'm not speaking of all of you, if I know whom I have chosen, but the scripture will be, and this is an interesting word, in the ESV here it says fulfilled. Um, does anybody else have a different word there in your translation, verse 18? But the scripture will be fulfilled. That is a, um, I looked that up in the Greek. Um, that makes it sound like a, I'll tell you what, the software makes it so easy. Uh, it's found, that word is found 15 times in the Gospel of John, uh, 16 times in Matthew. The other two uh, use it less. But Acts is also used pervasively so that, that all four Gospels and Acts use that word uh, like way more even than Paul and the rest of the New Testament. It's very interesting, that particular word. And most of the time when you look it up, it's it's used in reference to the Scripture. In other words, and, it can, and sometimes it's translated completed, okay, uh, or, or um, um, I forget all of the, the ways that it's translated slightly different in you know sometimes as little phrases but the idea is that something is carried to completion in other words it's or it's it's filled up uh, so uh, the illustration I was trying to think of an illustration and I was thinking of maybe this is a bad one but do you remember when you were in school I don't know if they do this anymore. I think they just take SAT tests and whatever right, right on the computer but when I was in school, you had an SAT test, or you'd have these different achievement tests, remember that? And you had these little bubbles, mm -hmm. like, you know, A through E or something, and, and you, all these questions, and you had to fill it. And, they, and they, they, before you take the test, what, what kind of pencil do you have to use? Number two. Number two, right? And you got to make the whole thing dark in here. Yeah, right, right. They're, 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 they, 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 Drill it in our head to the point where now, here we are decades later, you still remember that, right? You, you can see it in your head. It's burning in your head. I got to feel a little terrible. Okay? But that's kind of the way I feel like with the, 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 in looking this word up, that's the impression that I got. So in other words, it's the idea of, of completing the scriptures. There's no, there's no white space left, okay? In other words, there's no part of it that's not fulfilled. It's an interesting concept because there is a related word. It, it's not the same word in Greek, but there is a related word um, called translated uh, often uh, perfected or perfect. Okay, so in Matthew it says, "Be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect." And when I was a kid growing up, that used to bother me. I was like, "No, but I have to, you know, the asking us to do something we can't." No, but what it doesn't mean, it doesn't mean completely flawless, what it means is mature, okay? And so these two words do, uh, they are related. And actually, what's interesting is that they come together, both these terms come together in chapter 17, in close proximity to each other in Jesus' prayer, where he's praying for unity. He's saying that the scriptures can be fulfilled and that they may be one, and they that, that my joy may be, complete which is what this word is in them okay he's going to actually use that in this discourse several times to talk about in connection to his joy in us so in other words what he's saying is the if so you go back to that illustration the little bubble of say it this way but the, the circle is filled in for believers that there's no room left for anything but joy 
um, which is a pretty cool idea. But anyway, he brings these two ideas together, these two terms together in his prayer, not just for them, but for all believers. And I really find that to be interesting because in the sovereignty, I think what was going on here, remember, he just said, these whom I have chosen the scripture may be fulfilled. If you pull all of these together, what he's saying is the plan is already laid out. The scripture for Judas was even written and prophesied many, many centuries earlier. And now here is the man who is going to fulfill that, who's going to complete it and run it through. Now, and for Judas, it was unfortunately a, a bad outcome for him. Okay. But in God's grand plan is for his glory. For us and for the disciples there and in his prayer, what he's saying is, I pray that that same plan that was such a bad outcome for Judas will result in the glory and the oneness for us as they are made one in likewise fulfilling your plan. So the scriptures are fulfilled and we are perfected. In other words, we are matured. All of that is to say that God's plans, which he planned in eternity past, will be completed fully. That's pretty good. It's a pretty good idea. So when the air conditioning in your truck is not working on your trip to Florida, <laughs> uh, God's got it, right? He's it's part of his plan. He's filling out that plan for us. Well dries up. Well dries up. Yep. Still got water. They still have water. Thanks God. <laughs> As of this morning. Please, it'll be filled up. <laughs> I just I just had to say that, but that all of that from that one little word there, verse 18, scripture will be fulfilled. Okay. So and and so we looked at that last time. We won't go there this morning, but you remember um Psalm uh that is Psalm 41 9 that, that's there in verse 18. And it's it's quoted in part here, uh, where he says, He who ate my bread has lifted up his heel against me. But you remember that the fuller psalm tells us that it was his close friend, right? All right? And that'll come together when, when I read you what Michael Card has to say about where Judas is sitting. Okay. So it's been fulfilled. The scripture is completed. This plan of God is being fulfilled right down to the last detail. Uh, verse 19, I am telling you this now before it takes place, that when it does take place, you may believe what? Verse 19. What does he want them to believe? What is that I am he. he. That's the lesson here. Yeah. Yes. There's another one of those I am statements yeah. in John. This is a clear reference of Jesus to tying to him himself to the covenant making God in Exodus 3.14. Um, that is very interesting. Um, here's another theme that's going to show up again and again. Uh, again, under the umbrella of the sovereignty of God, one of the proofs of that is that he will accurately predict the future. Uh, all of these chapters, I mentioned to you, I, I was tempted to title our notes uh, when we when we um, did our overview of the Upper Room Discourse, these five chapters, okay? 
I was tempted to, to title it Preview of Coming Attractions because there's a lot of prophecy that he's going to give them. He's going to not only tell them about the betrayal, okay, that's about to happen in a few hours, but then about his going away uh, and, and so forth, which isn't just the cross. He'll come back to them for a short period of time. He's going to predict, he predicts that the world is going to rejoice. You'll have sorrow, but then you'll have joy. No one will take your joy away from you, right? So he predicts his resurrection, his time with them post-resurrection. But then I'm going away to prepare a place for you, right? His ascension. But the Holy Spirit is going to come, the birth of the church at Pentecost. And you're going to be hated in the world. You're going to have trouble and tribulation and trial. And they're going to kill you and think they're doing God's service, right? All of this is prediction of what's about to come in the next few hours, days, months, and years ahead. And all the way into chapter 21, where he predicts Peter's crucifixion, okay? So all of this prediction of the future is for what purpose? That you may know that I am he. Specifically, a sign to his disciples to help them know definitively that he is the Messiah. Okay? Right? That he is the Messiah. Because in a few hours, it's not going to look like he's the Messiah. You follow me? When he's arrested, when he's beaten, when uh, he is treated unjustly and dragged from kangaroo court to kangaroo court uh, and, and becomes a, a political football, that's what we're going to see. And in, in, in John, especially of the Gospels, really emphasizes the, the mockery of the two groups, one to the other, jabbing each other. And Jesus is sort of this, uh, kind of like this, um, well, for lack of a better illustration, this political football that's tossed between the chief priests primarily and and Pilate, the Romans, okay, back and forth. And and when Pilate writes that inscription, you know, the king of the Jews, what he's really doing is he's making fun of them because he knows that they have tried to manipulate him into doing what they want by saying he said he was the king of the Jews, right? Pilate doesn't fall for that. But anyway, so as, as Jesus is tossed back and forth between these two parties and made fun of and beaten and abused and all of that, he's not going to look like the Messiah. So it's very, very important that these men uh, see, even, even right now, in, in front of their very eyes, some fulfillment of the future. Okay? An interesting thought. So he says here, I'm telling you this now, before it takes place, so that you may believe that I am he. Now we come back to that same idea started in verse 16. Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever receives the one I send receives me. And whoever receives me receives the one who sent me. Uh, let me just uh, read you again. Um, uh, actually, no, I'm not there. Um, this, this idea here is tied up in the, in the original thoughts that we started this section of the apostle or the ambassador, right? Both of those terms really kind of get at the same concept here. And that is that, uh, and Michael Carter has 
uh, uh, intensive really brought this out. I thought it was very good. That it, 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 it's the idea of, and I used the illustration, David was sitting over there last time, right? And I said, it's the idea of, of, of a legal representative who carries the same authority that you do, right? So if I were to looking at buying a house and I, and I, I gave this authority to David to speak on my behalf and he was, he was to go and look at the estate in the house and he knows my parameters for what I'm looking for or whatever. And I give him that authority. This was so binding that he could say, okay, uh, we'll take it. And he could sign my, sign his name or put a seal down or whatever that would bind me legally to what David agreed to, right? He could execute it for you. Yes. Uh, and so this is the idea here too. And, and then again, verse 16 and verse 20, that, that, um, that verse 16, the servant is not greater than his master or messenger than the one who sent him, okay? And then verse 20 here, whoever receives me, receives him who uh, sent me. Whoever receives me, receives the one who sent me. Well, who sent him? Who sent Jesus? Father. Father, right? He says that again and again and again and again, and again. <laughs> all right? And we're going to see that again, right? Uh, so, so where is this authority ultimately coming from? The Father. And it's been given to the Son, who has been sent on a mission. He is the heavenly witness, right? John 3, the latter half of John 3 makes that clear. And actually, the first part of it, too, right? We bear witness, and you do not receive our witness, and so forth. Jesus is coming as the heavenly witness. He is now taking that same mission and message and giving it to them. And then in chapter 17, I pray for those who will believe on me through their testimony, right? It's given also to us so that we are all ambassadors. Yes, we write a time. You know, Paul writes in, in 2 Corinthians, right? Five. We are all ambassadors as if God were speaking. Think about that. Through us. If God wants to use your little mouth, some of it's bigger than others, that, that says things that it ought not to say many times. It does, exactly right. But he wants to use you, yeah. your mouth, Amazing. to speak grace and life to others as his ambassador. And what Jesus is saying here is, you know, you guys are the slaves, you know, you're not greater than the master. He's going to build on that thought later when he says, if they persecuted me, they'll certainly persecute you, right? And that's not, I guess, where his legal representatives. We are. We carry a lot more authority than they realize, but it's not from us. It's not our authority, right? It's not our power. Um, I keep going back to that illustration Paul uses of the clay, clay jars, right? And if you're full of yourself, you have no room for Christ. So he has to squeeze you and push you out so that there could be more room for him. Squeeze. Which in turn give the Holy Spirit direction and how we should be and teach us and show us things and gives us opportunities, right? And which I'm going to step on my own toes and I've been blessed a lot. Yeah. You know? Yeah. The opportunities to speak to somebody, opportunities to. You know, share the gospel with them, you know. And you know, one of the excuses that we come up with is the same excuse that Moses and Jeremiah and uh, and some other but those two particularly come to mind used as well. Lord, I'm not a very eloquent person, you know. Who am I to speak? You know, Timothy, Paul tells Timothy, don't let others look down on you because you're you. 
I'm just a young guy. You know, I got to tell these older people. You know, it's it, again, it's not about you. It's not about the container. And that's a good that's a good point, Rick. If the Lord has opened the door, and He's He's pricked your heart to say something, I but yeah, but I I don't know what to say. Say what He's going to give you in that moment. Say it, and, and you may stumble and fumble and. And you come away later kicking yourself. Oh man, you always think of the best things to say later, right? You know, oh, I should have said it that way. Oh, you know, what about that verse? And it's all right. What the Holy Spirit wants you to say? You don't know what the Holy Spirit's going to use. It's not you. That's the point. The power isn't in the vessel. The power is in the message. The first part of it is getting that initial starting. Once you start, and you allow the Holy Spirit to start working, then it just goes. That's right. And you know what I'm saying is then then the next thing you know, you've got a you may you may have a common bond or something something else. And then once you have that common bond, if that's what gets bring bring in bring in bring in the gospel. Bring in that make it in there. You know, easier said than done sometimes well for me because I'm the same way now. Then they walk away and you're going, Wow, I really yeah. love that one up. Yeah. And what's hard though is you do take those opportunities and you do tell people about Christ and that it, it goes nowhere. Yeah. But you don't know that. Yeah. Uh, uh, you don't know that. Nobody you know. comes to Christ. You know. I, I get it. We don't know what 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 he has, what timeline he has. We want it now. We want it now. We want people. As soon as we tell them, we want them to say, mm, "I'm accepted, Lord," and we want them to start following Christ. Yes, we do. But I, I get it. What I'm saying is, but we don't have. That's not God's timeline. His timeline may be five years, ten years. We don't know. Maybe that moment. We're not know? responsible for that anyway. That's right. You're right. We're there just to just plant the seed or water or however the, the, the situation may be. But sometimes it may take years and years for someone to go think, you know. It's like this morning, Eric, I, I was praying for Annie this morning coming over to this planet that, that for what she's heard, you know, for many years that she came, I just pray that the Holy Spirit is just absolutely this time of her hard part of her life, this young girl's life, that he's bringing stuff back, and he can do it. He can recall stuff to her because she's sitting in class, even though that she may have not been receptive. The brain still catches. The brain still catches, and when the brain catches, it feeds the heart. And the Holy Spirit's in there, and next thing you know, it's just working. So that's right. Oh, one other thing right. about uh, what saying things on the spur of the moment. I'm really bad for saying things that I later, you know. Felt I hadn't said, but it does give you a good opportunity to come back later and correct it. And, and when you're a little bit less tied in, and you think about it a little bit, and sometimes those times can be very productive. That's true. That's true. And don't just come back and say, uh, "Well, you know, I'm sorry if you're sorry." Yeah, no. I have a friend who don't, used to do don't that. come back. Yeah, blame you. Ask for forgiveness. But you did this, man. Don't, don't say I apologize. <laughs> if you if you sin against somebody, ask for forgiveness. If it's a mistake, you know, seven somebody's, oh, I'm sorry, you know, step on their foot or something. But if, if it's a sin, ask for forgiveness. Watch the difference in your pride. <laughs> and why do you say I apologize? And say, will you think about that? All right. Let's move on. That's point number one. Point number two is Jesus marks and dismisses Judas. And I put down there the other texts from the other three Gospels because, of course, all the Gospels touch on this point. Um, the other Gospels are pretty sparse on details. And, and so um, 
I think John, of course, we know John is writing many years later. By the way, this is another interesting thought. Because he's writing many years later, um, it's quite possible that people like Nicodemus are named by him specifically. Uh, for example, the other Gospels don't mention Nicodemus as part of taking Jesus' body off the cross. But by the time John is written, it's quite possible Nicodemus was already either dead, uh, martyred, uh, extra biblical history tells us that, that he was stripped of his authority once it came out that he was a disciple of Jesus and was, you know, kicked out of synagogue and Jewish life and lost his money and became this two man. Um, but anyway, so, so by the time Peter's writing, or John's writing this, Peter was probably already dead and Nicodemus as well. But um, when I, I was asking myself, okay, why does he give us so much detail about Jesus dismissing Judas and, and all of that? And again, I think it has to do with, you know, the number of years that John has been in ministry and the other Gospels have been read and widely circulated. And a lot of questions had come up. Had come up. And, and John, you can really hear that and a lot of times. Uh, Michael Card says it's when John is whispering to you and sort of telling you, filling in a little extra detail, right, about what, what's going on. And I think this is one of those moments where, where John is, is answering some common questions that you don't get from the other three gospel accounts. You don't get enough detail from that. Um, and, and so kind of look for that here as we read this section. Okay, so this would be verses 21 through 30. Um, after saying these things, Jesus was troubled in his spirit and testified, Truly, truly, I say to you, one of you will betray me. The disciples looked at one another, uncertain of whom he spoke. One of the disciples whom Jesus loved was reclining at table close to Jesus. So Simon Peter motioned to him to ask Jesus of whom he was speaking. So that disciple, leaning back against Jesus, said to him, Lord, who is it? Jesus answered, it is he to whom I will give this morsel of bread when I have dipped it. So when he had dipped the morsel, he gave it to Judas, the son of Simon Iscariot. Then after he had taken the morsel, Satan entered into him. Jesus said to him, what you are doing what you are going to do, do quickly. Now no one at the table knew why he had said this to him. Some thought that because Judas had the money bag, Jesus was telling him, buy what we need for the feast, or that he should give something to the poor. So after receiving the morsel of bread, he immediately went out, and it was night. So Jesus has finished telling them, watching their feet, giving them this example, and effectively setting them up for the commission that he's going to give them. Okay, He hasn't told them yet that he's leaving. That comes in verse 33. That just completely devastates them. But it's preparing them for what he's going to say later about that. Verse 21 says, after saying these things, Jesus was troubled in his spirit. In the timeline that I gave you, best I can piece it all together, what we have, what we're doing in verse 21 is we're resuming a thought that Jesus had started before he was washing their feet, before he washed the feet. 
best I can tell. I, I don't want to be dogmatic about it, you know, because I can be wrong. But it seems as if he started to tell them that one of you is going to betray me. And this sparks this argument among them, okay? And their pride wells up and they start getting offended at one another because uh, the, some of the other gospels, especially Luke, uh, remember we when we looked at that, well, actually it was Matthew, Mark that particularly say that they were looking around the room and wondering which of the others would do it, right? And then apparently that's that really angers some of them, especially Peter. I think Peter was especially riled up by that. Anyone would insinuate that I would be unfaithful to the Lord, right? And then and then they break into this argument and, and it devolves into this thing, and the Lord has to has to put that thought of one of you will betray me on pause and then deal with their pride. And the washing of the feet is part of that, right? And now he's coming back to that same thought again. And his emotional response is mentioned there. It's interesting that this isn't the first time that John has told us about the emotions of Jesus, right? How did he know what Jesus was feeling here? And that's, by the way, very similar to back in chapter 11. He's troubled in his spirit. It's, it's in turmoil, right? It's like, it's, it's, it's like agitated water. Stirred up in his spirit. Maybe the sound of his voice. It could be the sound of his voice. Yeah. The the look on his face. Uh, we know that John was sitting right next to him, okay, because of what we just read, right? That John was close enough to be able to lean back. Now, last time we talked about the position that you know um, Leonardo da Vinci didn't get it right in terms of. Painting the Last Supper, a beautiful painting, and you know, of course, all that, right? But with them sitting on chairs, that's not how this was, right? This was be would be a low table about maybe eight inches off, of, maybe a foot off the off the ground, and they'd be uh, leaning, sitting on pillows with sort of feet up like this. And the next guy, it wouldn't be like head to toe like this. The next person. You'd be kind of almost, you know how you have parking lots, sometimes a parking lot, the lines are painted straight and parked like this. Other times it's sort of at an angle, mm -hmm. all right? And the cars are parked at an angle like that. That's the way that, that, that people would be sitting at a formal feast like this. So you'd be sitting there. It's not that John was at Jesus's feet way down there and had to kind of crawl over, you know, like <laughs> this, whatever. But Jesus's feet would be kind of, because again, you you wouldn't want somebody's feet right by your head, right? These are people playing. Their feet, by this point, playing. <laughs> uh, um, except Jesus. You know, yeah, that's true. Who washed his feet? But your but your feet would be would be sort of at, at, at an angle like this, away from the table, and the next person would be close to you. So John's head would be maybe like right here, because mm. it does say in the Gospels that mm -hmm. that he would be he he could lean back on his chest. And ask him intimately. So it was it was a quiet conversation that the rest of the this is important because uh John apparently is the one who who heard what Jesus said specifically about marking who it was that was going to betray him. So why didn't he tell Peter so Peter could chop Judas's head off? Well, that's why, you know, in God's sovereignty, uh, and Michael said this, and I've noticed the same thing and, and, and agree with him that had Peter known. What Judas was going to do if Jesus had made too much noise about it and had pointed him out, and not just Peter, but probably the other apostles and disciples would have, Judas would not have made it out of the room alive, likely. 
or it had been, been a real stroke. So it's it's an interesting tension how the how the Lord reveals this truth. Remember, He's coming. I'm telling you this in advance so that you can know that I'm He. So He has to predict the future, and He's also telling them this is part of God's sovereign plan. What you're about to see, as much as it doesn't make sense to you, is part of fulfilling filling out God's plan. Okay. Mm -hmm. He, on the one hand, he's got to tell them that, but on the other hand, he can't reveal too much about it and tell them who it is, because what does Peter do in a few hours? He's swinging with the sword, right? He's he's ready to take on all these guards that come, uh, and I think it was a mix of, of Roman and, and, and Jewish guards from the temple and Romans from Fort Antonia that came to arrest him. Peter's out there swinging. He's ready to go, right? He's ready to fight. But I guarantee you, if they had known uh, what Judas was going to do, they know too much about it, <laughs> they have been ready to bring out some swords and go go at it. You know? Just don't think John really caught up what, what what Jesus said to him because it says right here it said Jesus told him but no one at the mill understood. That's what I'm saying. I think he he heard it and he's still didn't catch it. You know he heard him say that to him, but I don't think he called it. Maybe he Sam hand the bread to Judas. It was real secret. Well, John tells us. No, I mean, it, everybody would have seen that, okay? Um, John tells us, I don't think we have to guess because John tells us, right? Because, again, like I said, after, after all these years, people would have asked him that question many times, right? And, and so he tells us here that others in the room didn't understand what it was. So Jesus makes this cryptic statement to Judas, what you're about to do, go do quickly, okay? Um, but John is the one who heard that it's him you know, so it wouldn't it wouldn't have been unusual. What what we're saying is, and John and Michael, we'll talk about this more next time. Judas is sitting in the place of the close friend. That's a to the to the left like that, where you're Jesus is resting on his left arm and he's dipping the bread with his right hand. Mechanic Judas, that would have been a, a common practice. So it wasn't something really strange. Why did Jesus do that for Judas? Um, you know that, that there's, it's it's an offering uh, to a close friend. It's a position of of intimacy there. Maybe he didn't understand it till after the fact. Yes. Well, the most of them in number again. We get lost in details. What I'm saying is, John tells us there. Yes, they saw Judas get up and go. Most of them thought though that it was they didn't know what. They didn't put it all together then. Remember, they don't know yet that Judas has gone in secret to the religious leaders and, and joined in their conspiracy and, and to take some money and, and, and in return for helping them find and betray and arrest Jesus. They don't learn this until later. I'm wondering that I don't know this, it's just my own speculation, and it may be out in left wing, whatever, but I'm wondering if that was a practice when they were having a meal together, that the one who was sitting at the head would give a, a, a sup, the, the last part of the gravy, to one of the members as a, as a sign of courtesy. You know what I'm saying? Just like, uh, I don't know that, but I just want to get, so he was saying this is the one that I'm going to give the sup to, to John, tonight. No, we're just thinking about that. I don't I have no idea. It'd be interesting to look at that. Up and <clears throat> but there's no doubt, uh, and we'll read this next time. Michael Carr makes a point of that, um, that Ju Judas is sitting in the place that, yeah. the, yes, that the Jews knew as the 
the place of my, my intimate friend. So your intimate friend would be there and you, you could dip with him in common odd. Why was Judas there? Should have been Peter. He was he was besties with Jesus. The transfiguration was Peter, James, and John. It's like those would have been the three, you know. Well, John was pretty close. Yeah, John was right. right there. Peter's too far away to ask the Lord, so you get rid of John. Motions. I mean, I thought the honor's like right next to you, you know, and Peter's like down the road. It's all in fulfillment of scripture, right? Remember what we read last time from that song? Uh, my intimate friend. So stood up his heel against me, and in, in, in the bottom of your your foot, that's a, that's a it's an insult, right? All right. Well, that's a good question. It is a good question. We'll talk about that next time too. You know, by all rights, again, Judas, Judas's heart should have been softened by the foot washing, by the sign of friendship that Jesus gives to him, and yet. That last moment as he's looking at that morsel, he's had a choice one last time. So much depends on his good time. Yes, it really does. And yet he gives him opportunity. Yes. That's right. Remember, Judas is the trigger. Yeah. The gun is in place, the gun is loaded, everything is there, but it sits inactive until Jesus pulls the trigger. He puts the hands in his and gives him one last chance. Yes, if I think of that, I think of the churches. In, in Revelation, you know, but I don't know which one you look at. There's several of my there that says, repent. Oh, he does it all. It's about the oh, repent. Yeah, repent. Yeah. yeah. You need another chance. That's right. If you don't, I'm going to come and take the last thing. So Satan took that opportunity of, like, what do you say, weakness? Satan is not about weaknesses. He took that opportunity um, when Judas could have decided not to. Um, Satan just like, and that's when Satan entered out of the pleading the project. Yeah. Right? So we have to really be careful. Yeah. We have to be careful when you know, yeah, start yeah. thinking that we're strong. Huh. That thing. He knows our weaknesses. I wonder about that. Sure does. That's why they portray him as a snake because he's cracking. <laughs> yeah, that's the way Michael runs slithered, slithered off into the night. <laughs> Let's pray. Um, Father, it's uh, so much in your word, it's uh, just amazing to speak. Dig in, we listen, we think, and we talk it through and wrestle with the scriptures. Um, there's so much to come out of these things. And as we look at your glory in the scriptures, we're transformed by this. And uh, we thank you for the washing for the water of the Lord. Pray that you would do that again uh, for us this morning. Small group this morning. We're missing several folks. We just pray that you would be with all of them. I know it's been a long week and, and uh, just need some rest or whatever this morning. But I pray you bless your word. Uh, in our lives and, and the lives of young people who've come and some of the parents as well. Mm -hmm. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.